Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on TWIP, the iPad, what's in it for photographers, more thoughts on when and when not to shoot, plus special guest co-host Rick Salmon and Derek Story. All that and more on episode number 127 of This Week in Photography. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. And we are back for another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we have two of my, uh, two people that I look up to a lot in the, in the photography universe. The first one is Mr. Rick Salmon is on the line. Hey, Rick. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing... Glad you called me Mr. Rick Salmon. That doesn't happen to me too much, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. You are Mr. Rick Salmon. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Sure, buddy. And then also, uh, Mr. Derek Story from the Digital Story is here. Hey, Derek. Frederick. Frederick. So there was a tall joke embedded in there. I, I, I got that. I got that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. where, the, where was the tall joke? Where on was the lookup thing, on the lookup thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you're just misinterpreting things. You know? uh, see, you're you're overly sensitive because oh, you're God. taller than everybody. That's or <laughs> or because you guys were razzing me for like 20 minutes off the air. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You see, you know, you can pound us like a nail when you see us in person. <laughs> That's right. That's he right. can too. <laughs> I know he can. <laughs> Well, guys, it's been a long time. I mean, Rick, you and I haven't haven't spoken. Uh, we've been trading emails and Twitters and stuff, but we haven't had a, a, a real conversation. And Derek, uh, Derek, I don't think I've spoken to you since before the last, the the first Adobe layoff, right? <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. We've all been laid off since we last talked. So, you know. <laughs> Except Rick, right? Yeah. Well, you know, so we've in, we've embed, we've embraced Rick's way of life, which is if you don't have a, a job, you can't get laid off. That's, That's absolutely true. right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, call- well, actually, I was laid off twenty years ago, so I've That's been doing right. this ever since. That's good. Well, you got the hint twenty years ago. We're just getting the yeah. hint now. So <laughs> it's uh, it's I call it Operation Fireproof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Or at least fire retardant, you know. Right. So, something like that. Well, uh, you know, thank you guys for for coming on the show because it's a it's an interesting show, not only because I have both of you guys here, um, but because we want to talk about this new thing that Apple has released on the world last week. And I know we want to talk about this because I don't think it's been talked about enough because there aren't enough articles, there aren't enough podcasts, and there aren't enough magazine uh, newspaper coverage on this thing. So we thought there we is would... a dearth of information about the iPad, isn't there? No it's, one knows about it's, it. It's, it's still surprising. secret. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to take our little spin on it, and I, you know, I think it's it's appropriate for this show because you know the this week in photography audience, we we tend to make it a blend of uh, technology speak, which. To, much to the chagrin of a lot of the audience, but you know it's a lot of technology that relates to photography, um, along with photography. And I think this thing is represents kind of a blend of the two in many ways. So I wanted to have you guys come on and chat about it. But before we do that, I want to give a quick nod to our sponsor, Audible.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. They're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks. They've got more than sixty thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature, including audio versions of the New York Times and other bestsellers and all kinds of things. So for listeners of this podcast, 
Audible is offering a free audiobook. So if you want to try it out, you can just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. And I got to say, I, you know, this is kind of appropriate for this because I'm wondering if Audible books will work on this new device that we're talking about. I know, you know, it's going to support all kinds of other media. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting little topic there. So uh, definitely. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah. You you think so? You think it'll support them? I, I think so. I All think right. so. Well, yeah. Well, if it's if they have at least a, two months to get it right, if it's not, yeah, that's right. You know, it's time to if it's not going to convert, it's not going to work. It's time to start converting that library. So, but uh, yeah. So audible.com, A quick nod to them from the This Week in Photography crew. Thank you for your sponsorship, and we're going to move on. So the first story is this tablet. So first of all, um, Rick Salmon, when you when you saw the announcement of this right. tablet what what was going through your mind was it oh crap it's a big it's a big ipod touch or i gotta have this because i can show my portfolio on it or what what were you thinking well you know i i like to embrace always embrace the latest and greatest uh, technology and, and what's out there whether it's you know you know i wasn't into twitter for a long time i got into tweeting i wasn't into a lot of things but i i but I find that the more you embrace the current technology, the better off you're going to be. So when I saw this, I said, this is going to be great for my presentations. You know, I have an app out there, a photography app, and I called up my partner, Dave Wilson. I said, hey, this is great. Our app's going to work on this. He says, well, yeah, it'll work. But because, you know, the, uh, the uh, iPhone is 480 by 320 and the iPad is 1024 by 768, we have to upsize all the pictures if we want to take, you know, advantage of the whole uh, screen. You know, yeah. and it, you know, it has the same uh, screen as the Apple Cinema Display that I'm looking at, which is, I think, you know, kind of awesome, that IPS screen. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it, it's, um, it, it's going to be a, a fantastic way to share your work, to display your work. And I think it's – I have to get one. I can't wait. I, I really can't wait. Uh, Derek and I were talking about this before, that it's going to really make this whole uh, thing of sh- uh, sharing your pictures much more fun because, as Derek said, I'll turn it over to him. You could hand it over to someone, and that's really cool. Yeah, so Derek's story. So what do you think? What was going through your mind? I mean, as a, I know you shoot weddings from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think this is a viable way to, say, even deliver the final product to the bride and groom? You know, here's your, here's your, your wedding on an iPad kind of thing. Well, uh, maybe not final, but but definitely uh, at some point along the process to share the images. And I think even more importantly, to actually get the job in the first place. I think uh, this is going to change all of that. Uh, You know, Rick and I were talking off air before. I I think the beautiful screen combined with, and I think this is a thing that really separates the iPad from a lot of other devices, is that you can hand it to the person that's going to be viewing the images and they get to hold it at the angle and the distance that they want. They can zoom in or look at it full screen. You know, they're sort of in control of this experience. And since it's such an intuitive experience, you can hand it to just about anyone. And, and I think it's really going to change, you know, we've been showing our pictures on our iPhones, right? That's, that's what we've been doing. And, yeah. you know, that's one, of the, one of the great purposes of the iPhone is to, for photographers to show off their stuff. This is going to really raise that up another level. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, between my, my sort of fits of lusting for the device. But <laughs> I've been thinking about, you know, I take a lot of photos. You know, like Chase Jarvis is, you know, talk, talks about mm-hmm. the best camera is the one you have with you. And, you know, and I, I, I take a lot of photos with my iPhone, whether it's just things to remember where I parked or if I'm trying to create a little piece of art <laughs> that I want to share out, share out or whatever. But, uh it's interesting because the iPhone, all the pieces to create, to capture, to manipulate, edit, and then share out are all in one device. So it's my it's my camera, it's my lab, it's my Photoshop, it's my Flickr, it's everything all in one device. This device um, is not all that. So, I right. mean, it doesn't have all those features. You think that's a limitation, the fact that it doesn't have a camera on there? Or are you think there'll be some bridges between, say, the iPhone and this thing to bring your, your info in? Rick? Well, for me, you know, I don't really care <clears throat> that it doesn't have a camera. You know, I have my iPhone camera. And I like that tip, by the way, about remembering uh, where you park. <laughs> it's perfect. I, I, I'm going to use that. Uh, but I have a friend, Juan Pons, and he says he really would love to have the camera in there for, uh, for video conferencing. 
So I think, you know, for some people that they want it, for, for me, I personally don't care. But one thing that I think is cool, you know, I give a lot of presentations around the country and, and around the world. So I have all these keynote shows. And, you know, I don't, I don't have one of these devices yet, but I heard that there are going to be um, like $10 versions of a keynote that you could, you know, use to convert your pictures into a keynote show and show them off there. So that'll be cool, even though I know it, I, it comes with iPhoto, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it comes, it comes with, with a photo application, yeah. Yeah, it comes with a photo application, but for 10 bucks, if there's a keynote version, uh, you know, that'll save me a ton of work, you know, importing the pictures and stuff like that. So I'm looking at it, and I think a lot of the, uh, well, I don't really know if a lot of the uh, listeners are thinking about it, but I'm looking at this as... I was going to say a business tool, but I'm going to switch to an essential business tool for many photographers. Mm. Now, now, Derek's story on the the sort of Rick mentioned, you know, importing your camera or your photos into this thing, the lack of, of either a CF slot or an SD slot on this thing, do you think that's an inhibitor or do you think Apple has something else up their sleeve that's well, uh, going to make it easier. Well, they, they, they have something up their sleeve already. If you shoot with SD cards, you can get the camera connection kit. And it's nothing more than a, just a, a little card reader that will plug into the port there. And you're, you can plug your SD cards right into it. And the kit comes with like two things. It also comes with a USB connector. So if you're shooting CF, like I am when I'm shooting with the, with the Mark II, the 5D yeah. Mark II, mm-hmm. then then I can import directly off that. So I think that part will, will work fine. The, now, of course, on the other, the other thing I was thinking about, though, you know, I'm putting 16 gigabyte cards in my, in my camera, and, you know, here I am, you know, plugging them into a device that holds between 16 and 64 gigs. So uh, it's, it's, not, it's only going to be a temporary sort of thing. It's not going to be something I can take on a trip instead of my laptop. Because it just really doesn't hold much more than the memory that's in my camera already. Right. So it, it's, I think it's what Rick was saying, where you sort of think about the, you know, it's, it's a business tool, really. And I think the keynote part of it is huge. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think it's something that we're going to, you know, be replacing any of our existing devices with at all. Yeah, but it, it's, it kind of fits right in the middle there. Um, Before we continue, I want to give another quick nod out to our other sponsor today. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're a fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. And we, in fact, we publish Twiplog.com, which is the uh, the web the blog companion to the podcast using Squarespace, and it uh, works phenomenally. It allows all of us to log in and make changes and edit and promote users to contributors and Photo galleries, forums, all kinds of stuff is just kind of drag-and-drop uh, module-based architecture. So the Squarespace.com folks are also giving away a free trial. So if you want to get one, just head over to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out. Build your website. And if you decide you want to, you want to buy the service, you'll get 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP. So, uh, guys, let's continue on this on this uh, iPad topic. One of the other gripes that people have brought up about this thing is uh, multitasking or the lack thereof. Do you care, Derek? Do you care about multitasking in this? I, I, I do, actually. And uh, I, I was kind of hoping, since it has such a good processor, you know, I mean, Apple really seems like they did a great job on the hardware, mm-hmm. that uh, maybe this would be one of the things that distinguished uh, the device from the from the iPhone, you know, where we could run a couple different processes at once. So I, I'm a little disappointed about it, and I think you know, in the beginning anyway, I think developers that are thinking about, wow, what can I do with this wonderful piece of hardware, uh, you know, it's going to have it's going to throttle that uh, some of the development a little, little bit. So I, I'm bummed about it. It's one of the things that is a disappointment. Well, I'm not an engineer, but is do you think it's possible that one day they could say? Hey, we're going to release a version of the iPhone or iPad OS that supports multitasking. Oh and yeah! Boom, we have it. So it's not it's not tied to the hardware; it's software, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's the OS mainly. Uh, and yes, they could change their mind anytime. We know Apple does this. Mm-hmm. We know that they tend to be conservative when they first release hardware. Uh, yeah, with because they want everything, they want the user to have a great experience, mm-hmm. and you know, and I think that's very smart of them. I agree with them there. So you're right; this could change. This yeah, could change. 
Why do you, and then Derek, you said you were disappointed. Why do you need multitasking? Like where, where would it come into making your experience with this thing better? Well, I mean, I really look at this thing as a, as a productivity device on the go. Uh, so for instance, I mean, one of the things that I was, uh, that I tweeted about is that, you know, finally for those of us that fly coach, you know, we can get our work <laughs> I saw done. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, so I, I sort of feel like that, I, you know, I'm going to be using it that way a lot. I'm going to be checking mail. I'm going to be on the web. I'm, you know, going to have my photo apps running. Uh, you know, so I, I, I am going to use it as kind of a laptop that way. Uh, and so I think that's, that's why I want it, you know, having to close one app and then open another is, I mean, in, in the world of computing, that that is a step back. Uh, but, you know, again, I haven't really sat down and used it. I haven't had it on in, in my hand. So, you know, I may I may soften on that view after I try it. Rick, what do you, what do you think about that? Are you, do you care about <laughs> the multitasking? Well, Derek's known me longer than you have. <laughs> and uh, he knows, like, I'm totally hyper, which is why I can, like, do all these things. And I would like to, I would like to see that because, <clears throat> actually, I wrote another book while we were talking. It's already at 500 on Amazon, right? <laughs> already at 500. But seriously, I, I, I think that's important because again, I'm looking at this as a as a business as a business tool. You know, I, I mentioned before that I give a lot of presentations. If I'm just going to fly to like New Orleans to give a presentation, you know, I right now, believe it or not, I ship my stuff because I don't want to wait on the line. So I'll ship my cameras and stuff like that. Um, well, you know, at Newark especially, is like long security lines, long check-in lines. So if I could just, you know, travel around with with this device, I don't even have to bring a charger, right? If it's going to last for, I think the p- battery power is ten hours. Ten hours, yeah. yeah, with a month of standby, apparently. Yeah, so that so that's that's pretty cool. So I think you know, I as my uh, app developer said, we really need like the iPhone OS four, right? So so we could do this, all this stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it could in a lot of ways. I I totally agree with you, uh, Rick, because I was uh, the last trip I took was to CES in Vegas. And you know how you do the little dance before you leave of which stuff do Mm -hmm. I need to bring? You know, I have my my luggage open, I'm packing, and I've got my computer bag there. And I'm thinking, this time I'm thinking, seriously, do I really need to bring that? Because I have my iPhone, I'm just going to be doing email. Maybe I could just leave my computer home this time. I, Mm -hmm. I ended up bringing it, but I didn't use it that much. You know, so if I had this thing, I could bring something significantly lighter. So and what that brings up for me is, and I'll throw this to you, Derek, what, is, what does this mean for MacBook and Mac, or MacBook Pro sales? Do you think people are going to say, well, you know, I could just spend $499 and get this thing and it'll do me fine. Is it going to bite into sales for the MacBook Pros? It, it might for some folks, and uh, you know maybe this is one of the reasons it doesn't multitask. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you start, start thinking about it. Go, oh, you know, maybe they're a lot smarter than we are here. Yeah. Uh, um, but I, I don't think it's it's going to be a satisfying replacement for the computer. I think they've designed it and positioned it very well. So I think laptop sales are going to continue. For guys like me that that use a laptop most of the time, I'm obviously going to need a laptop to connect this thing to, so that you know I can uh, you know share you know the laptop's my home base. But uh, I don't think it's going to cut into it that much. I think most people are going to get that this is this is something else. What it is going to do is it's going to allow us to have more freedom, like both you and uh, Rick were talking about, in terms of our travel decisions and so forth. Now suddenly we have a whole nother way we can set up our bag. Yeah, I I predict I predict uh, we're going to see a whole new generation of men carrying those little purses around with just right. <laughs> with just the iPad in there. Unfortunately, well, you, well, you know what you say, it's just very the iPad. European. <laughs> exactly. I was just thinking when you said just the iPad, I was just thinking that yeah, we so we have the iPad, then we have the little stand, then we're going to have the keyboard, then we're going to have the little dongle for the. Uh, <laughs> Or the little uh, camera, the uh, camera connection kit that uh, that Derek was talking about, yep. and then you know Derek was also talking about how we're going to pass this over. Well, imagine how many like uh, uh, iPad protector and cases they're going to be out oh, at the man. Mac, so so people don't drop this thing. Yeah, so, they're, they're designing now. I'm sure they have a two month head start to get this stuff to press, right? 
So, so you know, I've made along those lines. I think that's a great point, Rick. Along those lines, I have made the decision. I am not going to get the keyboard at least in the beginning, you know, because I, I saw the the picture of the case that Apple's going to be selling for it, and it, it allows you to kind of fold this thing at an angle and yeah. then use, use the virtual yeah. keyboard. So I'm really going to try to go that way because I think Rick, you're you're right on the money. If you start bringing, if you start over accessorizing this thing, then you're right back in the same amount of space that you need right. your laptop. You know, yeah, absolutely. So what about video, guys? Um, Rick, this thing we haven't talked about a lot, or I haven't heard a lot from the the video community before this. All the rage was talking about convergence and digital SLR video and all that. But this thing is a highly capable video player. And could be another way for videographers or photographers dabbling in video to get their, you know, show their work. What do you think? Well, I think so. And, you know, if this could be used as an external monitor somehow, whoops, something just happened to my computer, as an external monitor somehow or other, or just to show these high-definition videos that these, that these SLRs are taking today, you know, this is just another way of presenting, presenting your work. But you know, it's not this. It's a, these. This has the same dimensions as a, a regular TV, and I think it's really meant uh, to be held uh, vertically. So if you're going to look at HD video, you're going to have you know the black bars on the top and the bottom. But the screen resolution, you know, is really going to be great. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Derek? Do you think people will be? I'm sure apps will come out to allow people to do editing, considering the horsepower in this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, do you think it's a? Uh, how do you think it's going to impact the videographer space? I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I mean, you know, this will show you know H two six four up to seven twenty p. That's that's a pretty good experience there. Um, so you know, and again, you're able to hold it, you're able to, to hand it to somebody, and all that. And I do think we're going to see some really good apps for it. So video, I think, is a huge on this on this device. Very what, very big deal. What about color spaces, though? That's one thing that I haven't heard a lot on. Is this thing color managed? You think, or is it? You know, I, I don't even know what the color space of the iPhone is. What do you know, Derek? I, I don't, and you know that's a that's a great question. I I know my sh- my shots look pretty good on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good enough for me. Right? <laughs> uh, he's just, uh, okay, don't touch anything. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna have to have new calibration devices like the Color Monkey, you know, for, yeah. for, the, for the iPad. Yeah. Hey, yeah. there's uh, all kinds of little markets are, are jumping into existence. So there's another story that we wanted to chat about um, that's still in a, a similar vein to the iPad. It's about this. Uh, it's related to iPhone and Haiti. And you guys may have seen in the show notes here that uh, uh, this is sort of related to a blog post that I put up on my blog at frederickvan.com. But there was this – the photographer was walking around Haiti and uh, someone asked him if he had a light to help with a birth. And he used his iPhone to help light the birth of this this baby. So how this relates to um, – you know, this this overall the conversation that was on my blog was the hypothetical situation that I that I posed on the blog was, say you're on the photo walk and you're not really finding anything interesting to shoot. Your camera has an empty CF card and a full battery, and then suddenly you find yourself walking by a hospital, and a car speeds up and hastily drops off a badly battered and bleeding passenger. No one else is around, and the person is unconscious and laying about 15 feet away from the emergency room um, entrance. It's a highly trafficked entrance. You can't be sure when someone is going to find the person. And then the last twist that I threw in there is you recognize the person as a prominent and important political figure. So the question and what I was trying to get to on the blog post is what do you do as a photographer? Do you engage like with this Haiti photographer? Do you, you know, he had a, he could have said, no, I'm going to shoot this situation. It's a baby being born, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, or he could help with his using his iPhone as a light. What do you do in a situation like this where it's something that's historic and critical? In this case, in the case of this hypothetical situation, it's an important political figure. But what do you do? Do you shoot and document for the rest of the world to know what happened there? Or do you drop the camera and jump in and help your fellow man? Derek? Well, uh... And I'm glad you asked Derek first. I was sweating. sweating. Wait. I I meant meant Rick. (laughs) Wait, my connection here is going. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there you go. Well, this is a hard one. This is a well, hard line. <laughs> I, I, I think for me, the, the the type of photographer that I am, I, I think um, 
I would rather not be infamous for not helping the person as opposed to being famous for, you know, uh, maybe documenting something and, and coming away with uh, those kind of shots. Yeah. So my, I, th- I think my inclination would be, uh, you know, life is more important first. Uh, and, and maybe that's why I'm the kind of, you know, in the, the area of photography that I am. But I will say this. I, I don't want to come across here like, you know, these other things aren't going through my mind because they are, right? I am a shooter. Yeah. So if there's any way that, you know, once the person is, you know, stabilized or whatever, uh, then I'm going to shoot. I am going to shoot, you know. And yeah. it, it, they may not be the shots that, you know, where I didn't do anything. But I am going to, I will come away with shots too. You know, I, I will try to do both. Yeah. But uh, I think first, uh, the life comes first. So you would you would drop the camera to the side and yeah. and make sure the person is stabilized, and then once people are helping them and you can't do any more, you document. I'd start shooting. I mean, the minute there was help there, qualified help, uh, I'm I'm picking the camera back up and shooting. Yeah. All right, Rick Salmon, what would you do? And you can't say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> now you wish you could have gone first, huh, Rick? <laughs> You know, when Derek was at his former company, I had a book published there called Face to Face. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and it, well, thank you very much. And it, I love face, that. Thank you. And it has uh, pictures of, you know, they're, they're travel pictures. And it really shows people at their best. Like I've been to India where, and if you saw Slum, Slum Dog Millionaire, you know what they do to these little kids. Uh, and I've been to Cambodia and I've been to Thailand. And I've seen such poverty, it would make you cry. And I haven't taken one picture of those people because I just I just can't because uh, I do like to picture people at their best. So I, I think I would just help the person. And if it, there wasn't that big lead up and everything, I guess it would eventually dawn on me to take a picture. But I, I just like you look at all my I don't think I have one. Actually, I know in all my books and in my app, I don't have one picture of a person not looking there. Maybe their best. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I, I guess I would eventually, but uh. I, I and I and I think Rick is is being true to nature. I've known Rick a long time, and and I I actually believe that about him. And I think if both Rick and I were there, I would probably be the one shooting first uh, uh, for for the very reasons that Rick articulated. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that there's uh, on that blog post. There's over a hundred, maybe something like a hundred and forty some odd responses and comments from people that are weighing in on all parts of the spectrum. Some people say you're a photographer; it's your duty to document it, you know. And other people say, you know, you other people are crazy. It's all about your fellow man. Who cares about the photo, you know? But you know, and, and I guess it's an unanswerable question because it the 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 question or the answer is it depends in a lot of ways of course you want to help your fellow man if somebody's standing or laying there and they need your help of course you're going to help them first but then the question comes up what if by taking the photo you could help a whole other group of people that are being affected by whatever put this person in circumstance or you know so it's it's an if it's you know you can't answer it is what if i i do know this so if i were the guy that was you know hurt then I would definitely would not want the guy taking my pictures, <laughs> you know, <laughs> taking pictures of me instead of helping me live, you know. So I, I do know that part of it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Rick, Rick, if you were taking a picture of this guy, would you have? To, would you stop and ask for a model release, or would you? <laughs> would you well, <laughs> well, you know, the guy could sue you, right? I yeah. Mean, call your lawyer first on your iPhone, and then you know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And so, maybe you could show. Then, if the iPad's available, you could show your portfolio on the iPad, right? <laughs> yep. But, and it, be, it doesn't have a GPS. Is that correct? Or one of them has a GPS? I don't know. I, I was but, just talking to someone about that. I don't know which one has, or if they all have GPS. You know, Derek? The cellular one will have a GPS. The Wi-Fi won't. Oh. Yeah. So, so there you go. So you have to get that one. So, uh, but you know, getting back to the iPad, if I can, could I just share like one thing with uh, with you guys that my iPhone developer Dave Wilson said? Absolutely, go for it. It only take about a minute, and it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> he said, "In 1984, Apple invented the user interface that we all use today. Even Windows 7 today is fundamentally fundamentally similar to the 1984 Mac. Apple redefined what it meant to use a computer. The iPad is the first breakthrough user interface since 1984." This is him saying this. Apple has just redefined what it will mean to use a computer for the next decade. I believe the iPad is this important. 
Wow. But you know what? I believe that. But I know there were similar things said when the Newton came out. Remember that? So what? what's different? Derek, is that your phone? You want us to pause for you? <laughs> no, that's someone who's calling who doesn't agree with what Dave said. <laughs> I mean, you remember, Rick, you remember the uh, you remember the uh, the Newton, right? That came out, I don't know, several, a, a decade or so ago. And they... Yeah. Yeah, that was the, the the Apple handheld, you know, I guess went their first foray into do, using the screen as an input mechanism. And mm-hmm. as some say it failed. Other, others say it just was too early for its time. Do you remember that? I I guess I don't. You don't I remember the was... Newton? Oh, Derek? Are you... Sounds oh, yeah. familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the Newtons always had the rap that it was it was way ahead of its time. And, you know, that was sort of the... The thing about it, I don't think that's the case, though, with the iPad. I, I don't think it's too far ahead of its time. Yeah, and I think about- the, the main reason for it, for I think the iPad um, has a better chance of success, is, the, is that App Store. You know, it has, it has oh, a yeah. world of apps that people can make this thing into whatever they want, and you're not limited to what's in it already. And e-books. And e-books, and movies, and music, and whatever else you want to write. So, yeah. And the cost, and the cost right? Yeah, I mean, it's, as a business expense, we we're talking about that. That's not that much. Yep, yep, yep. So it's uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely have some excitement in a couple of months here. So here's another story that I wanted to run by you guys. Um, you guys remember uh, Shepherd Ferry? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> he, he's the a, artist. Yeah, the artist that did the Obama campaign's hope poster, that oh, famous yeah, yeah. solarized I, poster. I, I saw the, yep. Yeah, so he's apparently under criminal investigation because of possible evidence tampering in a, in a civil copyright case from, I guess, yeah. AP. Um, apparently, he that image that he used to make that Hope poster was not mm-hmm. his, and he, and he tried to cover right. it up. So, well, you know, this the, the that is sort of the impetus for the, the what the topic that I wanted to chat about a little bit is copyright and where do you guys fall on the whole creative commons like Trey Radcliffe had a conversation with him and he falls on the the side of I want everybody using my images because the more the more distribution I have of my images the better and then on the far right would be someone like say I don't know you know a photographer that's very litigious about people using his or her images you know and if I see you using my images even as a thumbnail on your website I'm going to sue you so where where do you guys fall in that spectrum Rick? Well, well, I'll tell you, I, I agree with uh, Trey. If someone wants to make, you know, a mouse pad out of one of my pictures, pull it off my blog, you know, or my website, you know, that's okay. Um, because I, I want to get my work out there. I, but there are some, if, if someone's going to make money, if anyone's going to make money off my pictures, you know, then of course I'm going to be very, very unhappy. Yeah. But uh, there are some people, you know, I've seen websites by some uh, photographers that I know quite well. And basically it says you can't enter this site unless you promise to do this and you're going to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. You know, that takes the fun out of it, out of it for, for me anyway. I'm not going to even go on the person's site. Yeah. So I, I don't really, I agree with Trey, who, by the way, I interviewed and he is a very nice sharing He's the guy who called me the uh, the godfather of the photo industry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, well, one of the godfathers, I guess because I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> no, Trey is great. I had dinner with him last night. He's in the Bay Area uh, doing a talk at Google and apparently doing a talk at a company that's in Cupertino that I'm not supposed to mention. Um, but Or that he's not supposed to mention, apparently. Anybody else can. When's uh, he giving that talk, do you know? The Google one, I believe, is today. Actually, right now, I think he's in the middle of it. And the other one in Cupertino is Thursday. Well, I spoke on that stage in Cupertino, and by accident, I, I shouldn't really actually be talking about this, but I touched the screen. I remember <laughs> the story. <laughs> you're not allowed to touch the screen because it's a special screen, backlit screen that can't be uh, can't be cleaned. And boy, I thought it was like the guy, they said, "Don't touch the screen before my talk." And I said, "I said, what am I going to do? Get electrocuted because it's so big?" <laughs> well, that wasn't the reason you're not supposed to touch it. So after my talk, like eight guys came up with like. The biggest magnifying glass is known to man. <laughs> I looked at my friend. But anyway, getting back to Trey, he is a. Uh, I really, I really like that that guy. Yeah. So, so Derek, where where do you fall on the whole copyright in the spectrum of giving it away or prosecuting if they touch it? 
Uh, kind of somewhere in between, actually. Uh, I, I actually I like the Creative Commons uh, options a lot, and uh, I, I publish a lot of stuff on Flickr and uh, other spots. And uh, most of the time, uh, I will by default I have it set up for a Creative Commons license, mm-hmm. and uh, those shots get used, you know. And it's really nice. I, I love seeing it when when someone has picked it up, like when Wired or someone picks up a shot and. You know, and they know what they're doing, and they give you credit. And I've even had people say, uh, you know, in the story, you know, thanks, you know, to Derek publishing this under Creative Commons, we could just pick it up and run with it, uh, you know, because it fell within the usage rights. And then other shots, uh, I, I will go ahead and just lock them down as a regular copyright because I, I want to control, uh, you know, them uh, more. But that's usually only about 10% of my images do I lock them down. Everything else I'm, I'm putting out there, Creative Commons. I agree with Rick. I think it's, it's really good to, to be out there as much as possible. And, and that, that license helps us do that. Well, Derek, define for those who, who are listening who may not know, what, what is Creative Commons? Well, it, it is, a, is a, a looser form of copyright in the sense, and this touches on what Rick referred to, is that you? There are different versions of it, and you can go to Creative Commons uh, and, and look at the different versions you have to choose from. But the essence of it is that if you want to use uh, my image, you know, as editorially or uh, at your uh, church function or whatever, then uh, I'll allow you to do that. If you want to use my image to make money. Uh, part of an advertising campaign or something like that, then uh, I retain those rights and you have to negotiate a deal with me. So what it does is it allows our photography to get out there and to be shared and to be used for you know non-profit, uh, but at the same time, if someone does use it for advertising campaign, we don't, we don't lose out on our intellectual property. And I, I, that's why I like it so much. Now, you know, Rick, do you have anything out there that's that's copywritten under Creative Commons, or is all your stuff? Or how, I guess a better question is, how is your the work that you have online? How is it protected? Well, when I publish something, I just put copyright Rick Salmon as a file name. Okay, so it goes up there. And again, if someone wants to use it for fun, you know, that's okay. Um, I'm not really that concerned about it, but I do know people who are total maniacs about it, and uh, I think that's a reflection on them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right? It is. Yeah. A little a little paranoia. A little healthy paranoia is good to keep you alive, but unhealthy paranoia is crippling, right? right. Well, it definitely is. That's it's a very, very good point, Fred. Very good. Yeah. I, I, ha- I have a little tip that, um, that I love to, to use along these lines, that if, uh, and I'm not sure this works for Nikon cameras, but for Canon cameras, uh, as part of the EOS utility software that comes bundled with it, you can plug in your camera and you, you actually have a couple fields to work with where you can put your copyright uh, information right there so that every time you click the shutter, right. the camera is actually writing your copyright uh, information on every shot so that if you forget to do it when you import the Lightroom or Aperture or, or you know through Bridge or whatever you do, uh, it's on the image right at Capture. And I think that's something that, that's really great if for no other reason. Uh, because of the the orphan works law, if for no other reason, if someone wants to find you, at least your your name and contact information's there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I don't know if the Nikon does that or not. I, I'm sure, I'm not sure. I don't know if it does it or not. I'll have to dig in and see. Now, uh, Rick, are you uh, Derek? I know you're on the Canon, um, the Mark II. Are you on the Mark II? 5D Mark II is my uh, primary camera right now. Yeah. So I have a question for you from a listener, and Rick, what do you what do you shoot on? 5D Mark II. I have the 7D for like wildlife photography because <clears throat> with the smaller sensor, you know, the lenses you know act like longer lenses. They're not really longer lenses, but I just love the 5D Mark II, the full frame image sensor, and the low light capability, the low noise, all that stuff. Okay. All right. So I'm going to Rick. I'm going to give you this first question. Number one. These are one of the listener questions coming in. Um, this one's from Robert Adriassen, and he says, "I have a Canon EOS 5D Mark II. What is the widest angle lens that can be used with a full frame sensor and have minimal distortion? I'm a backpacker and primarily shoot landscape and wildlife. Would the answer be different for portrait photographers? What do you think, Rick?" 
Well, sure. Um, well, you, you could shoot a portrait with a wide-angle lens, but <laughs> close up, the person would be very distorted. Uh, uh, I like to use the, uh, if, if you don't want any distortion, Canon makes a 14-millimeter uh, rectilinear lens. It's corrected, so when you tilt it up or down, you don't get any uh, distortion, as you would with a 15-millimeter uh, fisheye lens. So when you turn it up and down, like if you turned it down, you'd bend the horizon, which is a nice effect. So for landscapes, but the 14 millimeter lens is uh, is a little expensive. Uh, they have tilt shift lenses. Uh, I forget the the uh, the focal length. Derek probably knows, but you know they they won't give you any distortion. Yeah. So as far as if you're serious, but you know I think that's too wide. I, I would you know I have a 14, but I like my 17 to 40, my 17 to 40 millimeter zoom lens. I'm a big fan of zoom lenses, and it's an f4 lens. I don't need the 16 to 35 2.8, which is twice as much as the uh, 17 to 40, because I shoot outside. I would, I'd recommend a zoom. Yeah, yeah that, that 17 to 40 is one of the better deals, along with the uh, 70 to 200 uh, f4 lens. I think it's two of their better deals on the L lens. The other thing I always say to people uh, when they ask this type of question is, don't forget about you know shooting a panorama and then stitching it together. Right, I mean, you know, right. You know, so you can have uh, any lens you want uh, uh, to do that. You can turn the camera vertically, and uh, you know, just find some way to to note your beginning and end marks. You know, I usually just take a picture of my hand at mm -hmm. the first frame and then take a picture of my hand again at the end. But uh, that sort of removes the whole issue of you know, which lens you have on the camera, and you can get as much information as you want because the stitching software these days is outstanding. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people overlook that. I mean, the, the fact that you can you can do a lot in post. You know, some, some photographers that I know have a sort of religious argument against doing anything in post to the image, while other photographers say, hey, it's a pixel, you know, let's... Uh, Let's do whatever we want to it. And I say pixels were born to be punished. <laughs> so, which I want to make a T-shirt that says pixels were born to be punished. <laughs> Put that on there. I love it. So uh, here's another question. And this one's from Rob Carson. He says, uh, I often hear um, that many of you use Aperture or Lightroom, etc. for file management. I get awful results when my raw files are converted by Aperture versus the supplied raw conversion software that came from the camera manufacturer. I have tried tried it with raw files from a Canon 40D and a Nikon D700, and the photos look washed out. Am I missing something? Rick? Uh, I think I have to turn this over to Derek, because I there, there's really no... There are slight differences, you know, in raw processing programs. You know, a lot of people call, you know, raw files a digital negative. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Aperture Process is slightly different than Lightroom or Photoshop or Canon Digital Photo Professional or, or Phase 1 or all these... Uh, all these uh, uh, all these different processing programs. So it's not really a, a digital negative until it's processed, but I don't know why it would be so washed out unless he has some default setting set. You know, he did click some... It was a he, right? Yeah, yeah, Rob he Carson. He clicked something by accident. What do you think, Derek? Yeah, I think it'd be a couple things. Uh, you know, first of all, the you're right about the raw processing. It, you, what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, there are different interpretations of a raw file. You know, Adobe interprets a raw file one way and Apple another way, for example. And it's not that either interpretation is the right way. It's that they're exactly that. So, you know, part of the quest is to find the interpretation that you like best and, and then go from there. The other thing, though, uh, you got to make sure that the rest of your workflow is tight, right? I mean, you know, are, are you calibrated? You know, is your screen calibrated? Uh, you know, are you checking the histogram on your on your shots? You know, or, or you know, are you getting good exposures? Uh, you know, th there's a lot of other elements. So, you know, before you rush the judgment, everybody. make sure that what you're looking at is is, is accurate. And yep. then, once you know you're calibrated, once you're tight, then I would say, you know, test the process of of you know picking which processor appeals most to your eye so you know and just to piggyback on top of that i know uh and what i tell folks a lot when they ask me is you know they're like when i sh i'm shooting in raw and when i import that raw file into say lightroom or aperture or even bridge it looks different than the image on the back of the camera and and they you know 
people aren't making the connection. I think it's it's a it's a fundamental sort of thing that you need to understand what's happening is the the image on the back of your camera is not the raw file. It's a rendering of the raw file in a little JPEG thumbnail that it's your camera is showing you. When you import that raw file into your computer, depending on what software you use, um, generally they're going to generate a, a, a another JPEG image preview file for you to look at. Am I right, Derek? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, okay. you're you're absolutely right. And the and the one thing you know, you're looking at a little eight bit JPEG that the camera cranks out, which is great, very convenient. We love it. But for instance, uh, you probably have a lot more detail in your highlights and your shadows in the actual raw file than than even what you're seeing on that little JPEG. So, uh, Rick talks about this a lot. In fact, he was talking about it with me earlier. Is that you really have to learn your camera and learn what it's capable of doing, so that when you see that image on, on the back of the camera, you have an idea, you know how much information's there, uh, really. Well the other thing well the other thing is, you know, how much does a screen cost on the back of the camera? Like twenty bucks? I, I'm just guessing. Maybe fifty, and how much does your monitor cost? You know, over a thousand. What's more, now I was teaching a workshop and someone says, Oh man, look how bright the pictures are. I said, well, the scene doesn't look that bright. Well, what had happened is they had turned up the screen brightness. <laughs> so I say, you know, don't judge, you know, judge your composition by what's on the back of the screen. But use your, your histogram is the best. The overexposure warning is good. Uh, but the histogram really tells you what's going on. You have to understand you really have to understand what the histogram is telling you. So, guys, I know both of you are best-selling authors and have, you know, probably forgotten more about photography than I've learned yet. So, where where can people that are learning about this stuff go to sort of, you know, get their feet wet? I mean, like things like what what is a histogram and how to how to read a histogram? Just those fundamental nuggets that every photographer needs. What resources do you recommend? I use Derek's books. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Okay. See, and the, and I this, follow the this is T-ball. Story. I'm just lining it up for you to hit it out of the park. Go ahead, Derek. And, and, and I follow the digital story, and I attend his lectures. <laughs> and, and personally, I everything is in my books I stole from Rick. So, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. You <laughs> have a symbiotic relationship going right, on here. Right. So we, we just keep – so uh, the Digital Photography Companion does cover all of that stuff, you know, and the book that's out right now, you know, all the basics, and it, it's, a, it's a handy book. Really, though, seriously, all kidding aside and all beers aside that I owe Rick, um, really, need, <laughs> really need to check out everything that Rick's doing both online and in, uh, in his books because the thing that he does that I like is that once you get the basics down and you, and you want to say, I want to get better at people photography, I want to get better at HDR, the thing that Rick does is then he will take you down that road and you get to focus just on that. And I think that's where the next level comes from once you master the basics. Well, just another good place to learn. You know, I, I am a Canon, uh, a Canon user, Canon Digital Learning Center. You know, if you yeah. want to know every single thing about a Canon camera, go there or whatever camera you have, go to the site of the uh, the site of the uh, the manufacturer because these manufacturers like Canon, they're putting so much into these uh, sites because this online learning, online training, uh, is uh, you know, especially with the iPad now coming, all this stuff is going to be so accessible to us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, just a little aside, I think Starbucks and, uh, you know, coffee shops like that are going to have to retool their layouts and put, just put a bunch of lounge chairs in there instead of the tables. Ah. <laughs> That's it. That's so, it. Yeah. I'm down with that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, guys, um, we generally, at this point of the show, have the, the guests and the co-hosts um, give either a tip or a pick of the week. Now, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh Derek, what would you what do you want to give to the Twip audience as a as a pick or a photography related tip? Well, you know, uh those those of out there that are using uh iPhones, uh if if they have the Gorilla, the Gorilla Pod, you know, the Joby Gorilla Pod, yeah. it's an application that they make for the iPhone that I I just think is really a handy little uh iPhone application, and uh, it has all sorts of things in it, like an interval timer and a lot of handy things that just really help you know me take you know a lot better pictures with the with the iPhone. So that's that's one of my current favorite little apps uh, on the iPhone for photography. Gotcha. Okay. Excellent. And Rick, do you have a pick? 
Well, uh, I have a favorite tip, okay. and I awesome. say it, I say it in, in all my uh, presentations, and it really applies to all your photography, but especially when you're photographing people. It's not original, but I say it a lot, and, and the tip is that the camera looks both ways. In picturing the subject, we're really picturing a part of ourselves. In other words, the mood, the feeling, the energy, the emotion that we project, that's going to be reflected in our subject's faces and in their eyes, and if we realize that, when we're photographing people especially, we're going to get a higher percentage of uh, pictures that we like because uh, there'll be a reflection of us. So we're definitely in con- – we're like a mirror. That's great. That's a great tip. Both great tips. Um, so as we close the show out, guys, when if, you know people are going to be – if they don't already know who you guys are, they're going to know where to find you and follow you on the social media and web and blog and all that. So, Derek, which, uh, where do you want to direct folks to learn more about Derek's story? Uh, two places. Uh, my Twitter feed is uh, Derek with uh, two R's, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, underscore story. And I do it that way just to be weird. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, of course, you know, thedigitalstory.com is a website. And everything runs through that, the Twitter feed and all, all the good stuff. Okay, excellent. And Rick Salmon, where can people find out more about you? Uh, I'd say just my site because everything's linked on the homepage of my site, just uh, ricksalmon.com. With two M's. Sounds like the fish, but it's spelled differently. (laughs) Two R's in Derek and two M's in Salmon. Got it. There you go. Awesome. All right. And if you guys want to learn more about this show or or keep up with the antics of what we're doing on This Week in Photography, you can head over to twiplog.com. That's twiplog.com. Or search for us on Flickr. You can find links to our Flickr and Facebook feeds over on Twiplog. And for and also we're um, we're kicking off a little workshop at the end of this month. So if you want you're interested in attending that, um, head over to twiplog.com and look for the I think one of the most recent posts talks all about it and has a link to register for that workshop. And it's uh, and also if you enter the code TWIP when you register for that workshop, it will knock two hundred dollars off the price of it. And if you're looking for me, uh, as always, I'm at frederickvan.com or twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Mm-hmm.